Think about it now. Rocky Horror is a Disney franchise now. Oh, boy. So, so does that mean Frankenfurter is a Disney princess? I think he might be. Wow, that's exciting. I want to see those Burger King glasses. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome, a very culty episode. I am Josh Hadley. Peter and Cecil are off this week because Mr. Lobo, a cult film expert, will be here to talk cult films with us in a cult film sort of sense. Cult film, cult film, cult film. Cult film, cult film, cult film, cult film, cult film. It's a very cult film Christmas, Charlie Brown. That it is. Which is also something you guys can do if you want to go to a place like adamandeve.com. Get a little something for yourself in quarantine. You know, prolapse something, maybe. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at Adam adamandeve.com and also we're going to be talking about a whole lot of weirdo movies tonight if you guys are looking for some of these you might want a little bit of protection you might want something like a vpn a virtual private network that's where nord vpn comes in go to 1201beyond.com backslash drome vpn and that will take you to Nord's site with our code nord will protect your data it'll encode your data you can get around region locking you can hide where you are online it's really cool i use it a a lot of people use it, and if you go through our link, 1201beyond.com backslash VPN, you will get 75% off of a three-year plan. That's only $3.79 a month for the digital condom that is NordVPN. So what prompted this, Mr. Lobo, is I know you know cult films. I've, I've often referred to you as a cult film expert. I think in that documentary we did together, I actually I actually supered you as a cult film expert. Was a Chiron cult film expert? Was there a Chiron operator? I haven't had I a Chiron since I actually worked <laughs> in the news. I don't, I don't know if my editing software has a Chiron <laughs> button. It's a super, super imposition. All right, super imposition. Okay. All right, I just want to know what technology we're dealing with here. But yes, I mean... I mean, expert is always a loaded term, but certainly I have been cited as a cult film expert across many documentaries, and certainly I've hosted cult movies on television and in uh, live theaters for 20 years, so that's something. Well, there's a new documentary out, and I'm using the word documentary in quotes because this thing pissed me off. It's called Time Warp, the greatest cult films of all time. It has people that talk about real cult films like Rocky Horror Picture Show, Pink Flamingos, Plan 9 from Outer Space. And they also talk about those notorious cult films, The Devil's Rejects, Napoleon Dynamite, Showgirls, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Blade Runner, Point Break. You know, cult films like that. Do you see how my head was starting to scanner? I, I, I can see how your head was scannering or sca starting to scanner, or if we can use scanner in that way. Although I do, I do, you know, I, I did not see the documentary, so I can't speak to that exactly. But perhaps their version of a cult film is is different than your version of a cult film. There are There are varying definitions of cult. Don't well, you agree? I do, and their version is essentially a film that has become a pop culture staple. That's why, like, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a cult film, according to them. Best in Show is a cult film, according to them. The Human Centipede is a cult film. And they seem to be confusing pop culture film with cult film. And I think that's what pissed me off so much. They don't know what a cult film is. Oh, and also, in this documentary, Rob Zombie totally plagiarized you. He absolutely describes a cult film as, these are not bad movies, they're just misunderstood. I did a double take when Rob Zombie said that. I'm like, wait a minute, I know a guy who's had that catchphrase for 20 years. Wow. I, You know, that, I mean, Rob Zombie, I guess, is sort of 
I mean, I feel like theft is in his toolkit just in general, creatively, but that's fine. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, we're, you know, I mean, I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't cite, I can't uh, shame him too much. I mean, I feel like we're all a bunch of pirates here doing uh, our own version of uh, something that others have done before us. It is interesting with Rob, Rob Zombie and I have a, I don't know if we have a history, (laughs) but I remember getting a phantom call from someone who was in a boardroom at Turner Classic Movies. And they said, you know, your name is coming up quite a bit here. You're being considered for a a host uh, to host a show called TCM Underground. And it's like, wow, really? That's I watched that too with Rob Zombie. And then Rob Zombie, of course, ended up getting it. And when he did, I was not upset that he got it. I mean, he certainly is more famous than I am, and he has a, a much more draw than I have. He certainly has a younger, hipper demo than I do. What killed me the most is that he couldn't read a teleprompter. He didn't have any sort of presence in front of the camera that I could discern he seemed frankly nervous no maybe he got better after the first few but he seemed really nervous and tcm underground at first didn't he yeah i i he did and and so it kind of you know that that was the part of it it's like if someone like gets something that you're up for and they're truly better than you are you're like okay like for example i was i I don't want to say i was up for it but i was i was talking back and forth with some people who were connected to the show gotham for some reason someone somewhere said that Mr. Lobo might make a good Hugo Strange. And I don't know how that started or who started it, but for half a second, that was something that that was that that I was communicating with some people about. And then the the guy who got Hugo Strange on Gotham, he was fantastic, and there was nobody better than that guy. Like when I finally saw the Gotham episodes, I went, "Oh, okay, yeah, I know why these guys stopped talking to me because this guy's awesome. This guy is Hugo Strange." But yeah, with Rob Zombie, uh, that that kind of uh, stung a little bit because I felt like he didn't he didn't have much uh, much charisma there as a, as a host as a uh, movie host. Well, we're getting into my we're getting into the dirt here, Josh. We're getting into the, into, get, into, into the bad side of Mr. Lobo, the jealous, bitter side of Mr. Lobo. I've never I've known you since the early two thousands. I've never known you to be bitter or jealous. So. <laughs> but uh, all right, let, let's swing this back all to right, the so cult. We're swinging film. back to cult movies. But what I was gonna say is that popularity certainly if if that is the skew of of a movie is it, it be, if it if it graduates into pop culture means it's a cult movie then no that is a that is certainly a wrong definition of what a cult movie is but i do have to say there are some movies that have that are somewhat mainstream that have made money that are cult have a cult appeal and 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 my definition of cult is that it's a movie that people obsess on it's a movie that people watch 40 times it's a movie that people know all the dialogue backwards and forwards and they proselytize to their friends and every time somebody comes over to their house they try to get people to watch it that's the other cult that is the sort of almost fanatical religious sort of cult and i do feel that a movie like clerks has that even though that doesn't maybe not fit i think that was one of the ones you had uh, an argument with about it being a cult film right yeah I, I don't consider clerks a cult film the same way and like i said there's a lot of great movies here but like blade runner is not a cult movie it's one of the greatest movies ever made yes but it's not a cult film and i don't know how you could categorize blade runner as a cult film well wh- why okay it's certainly not a mainstream film do you feel Blade Runner is a mainstream film? At this point, yes. Not only because it's been referenced so often, but you'll have throwaway jokes for it on sitcoms on NBC. Big Bang Theory will be bringing it up. You'll you'll have, you know, when Blade Runner 2049, they clearly thought this was mainstream enough that they're going to throw $300 million at its sequel. I think Blade Runner is mainstream completely. I agree with you that Blade Runner is a mainstream movie, but I do feel that Blade Runner has a cult. Don't you agree with that? That the, that the fandom is cult for Blade Runner? I don't agree with that one. I, I think there are there is a cult within it. There are certain people who do, but I would say it's not a cult the pe- film. Because the people who, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, okay, like you've got a film like, I, I, you know, when I had did your documentary, Josh, I had said something that upset 
some of the viewers on YouTube. Except uh, I think you said it right. I know exactly which quote you're going to bring up, and I agreed with it 100%, and so and did everyone I else. And I said that mainstream movies fade and that cult lasts. I think people thought that that was a uh, pretentious and daft thing to say. And they go, well, what about movies like Star Wars and Jurassic Park and on and on and on? And, and these movies have a cult following, even though they are mainstream movies and, they, and, and some of them have made money. I mean, the original Blade Runner, I think even with all the five versions that they put out, I don't even know if they made their principal budget back on that movie. I guess maybe they have now. But I don't know if money means that something can't be cult as far as in its appeal. I, I feel like the movies that he that, that were being brought up as these you know, what about all these wonderful mainstream movies? These aren't these aren't like legitimate Oscar winning kinds of movies. This isn't like Places in the Heart or Out of Africa or Gandhi. These aren't the movies that people are bringing up to defend what a mainstream movie is. These are movies that are bigger budgeted versions of B-movie tropes. You know? no, not always. I do agree with you on that to, to a certain degree. But things like Best in Show, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Harold and Maude, Freaks, The Big Lebowski, those are Oscar-type movies that are that are considered cult films. And with the exception of Big Lebowski, that one does have a weird cult. They have conventions, people that dress up for, weirdly enough, Big Lebowski, I'll give you, that is a modern cult film. But Showgirls? Hedwig in the Angry Inch, the one that threw me the most was Point Break. I love Point Break. Don't misunderstand me. I have no idea how that is considered a cult film. Well, what category do you put those movies under if they're not cult films? For something like Showgirls, mm-hmm. I, I hate this term, but people love that whole so bad it's good thing. You know how much I despise that term, that the room, oh, I love it because it's so bad it's good. Birdemic, I love it and it's so bad it's good. Showgirls sort of does fall into that. At the same time, Point Break was a giant mainstream hit at the time and just it became a pop culture staple. I think Point Break was just a popular movie. You're going to find far more people who have have seen Point Break and love it than would ever say, yeah, I've seen that a hundred times. Because I think you made a comment once, the difference between cult and mainstream is a mainstream film will be seen by a hundred thousand people one time. A cult film will be seen by one person a hundred thousand times. Right. I have said that. Now, I don't know much about Point Break, but Showgirls was a bomb. That movie, and the original Blade Runner, when it came out, was a bomb. The people who, and even Terry Gilliam's Brazil, of course, when it came out, was a bomb. There are people, like, I think I've seen Blade Runner 200 times. I certainly... From a personal standpoint, I feel like I have a a cult fanaticism, you know, and again, I'm defining cult as something that I'm intellectually obsessing on. I intellectually obsess on Blade Runner probably on a daily basis. Showgirls, even though that is a, a, a movie that people love to hate, if you go to the Castro District in San Francisco and you put Showgirls in a theater, that movie is standing room only with people who know the dialogue and they've seen Showgirls 200 times and, and they've seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch 200 times. And and I think that uh, just like you've got a cult, you know, I mean, Christianity started as a cult, right? I think that some of these things that start small from a grassroots level where it's like, okay, the movie comes out, doesn't perform at the box office and the studio abandons it. But then like Rocky Horror Picture Show, the, 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 the word of mouth among the people who are obsessive about it grows and grows and grows and grows to the point to where you, you, you fast forward 40 years later and people forgot that Blade Runner was a bomb and they make a $300 million sequel to it. I think there's also something about the difference in the modern age when you define a cult film than when we were growing up. I mean, you're Mm -hmm. a little bit older than me, but we're ballpark the same age. We ballpark had the same pop cultural experiences in our childhoods and teenage years. To us, we saw these things on late night UHF TV at three in the morning or on on videotape. Nowadays, with the internet, people are being told what a cult film is. Or or as soon Mm -hmm. as like Glenn Danzig's version 
Erotica came out. The big thing was, this is going to be a cult film. This is a cult film in the making. I can't wait to see the cult film built around this. And I think that's different than when we saw Death Race 2000 for the third time in a single year on various UHF channels, and we were like, I'm really digging this movie. I think in the modern day, people are being told that this is a cult film instead of organically discovering it. That does make sense, and and, and with, with that, I'm definitely seeing a parallel to how we brand indie films in this country, where you have people saying, this is an indie film from Lionsgate, or this is an indie film from Warner Brothers, <laughs> you know? I feel like that, you know, we're, we're using indie or independent film as a brand when it when really it is anything but independent and certainly a cult film is not something you can really create usually a cult film people discover a cult film usually a cult film is not over promoted so and certainly not promoted as a cult film from that standpoint i definitely understand you know again the marketing aspect of it. And I am older, you know what I mean? I remember seeing Terry Gilliam's Brazil in a theater with three people. I remember coming home after seeing Blade Runner and telling everyone how great it was and nobody even understanding what I was talking about. And I remember people saying, sound like the oldest hipster in the world, but I remember people going, that movie's terrible. You know, people seeing it, not getting it, not getting it, not getting it. Halloween 3, over and over again. Things that I appreciated that were reviled in their time saw them in a half empty if not completely empty theater i remember i saw uh fear and loathing in las vegas when that came out there were literally two people in the theater on the opening day <laughs> they were both a, a, a couple of old hippies and they walked out halfway through to see some of these movies now where you know you've got career critics mentioning the same 10 movies over and over again and now they're sort of we're all programmed right it's called response oh yeah i love that movie oh yeah buck rubanzai i love that movie i love this movie i love that movie and i wonder i wonder in my heart of hearts if if this is the, the kind of movies that people like to talk about but really they're not watching see i think that there's, there's a difference here between a movie that becomes a classic later like blade runner and a cult film Mm-hmm. No one talks about Rock and Roll High School. It's a good movie. I really dig it. It's one of Corman's more higher-end movies from that year, other than some of his sci-fi ones. There's no cult around Rock and Roll High School. You don't have people dressing up as PJ Souls. You don't have people like, oh man, let's go watch Rock and Roll High School again this weekend. Same thing with like Napoleon Dynamite, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay, these are movies you'll watch when they're on cable. Like, right. I, I have a weakness for Flash Gordon, the 19- 1980 Flash Gordon. That's that's not a weakness. That's a strength. Yeah. Anytime it was on, immediately, I don't care what we're doing. We're watching Flash Gordon. Absolutely. Every, the Brain That Wouldn't Die, I've seen that movie 5,000 times. If, if there was a TV on in this room and The Brain That Wouldn't Die was on, I would stop everything I was doing and probably end up watching the whole rest of it. Night of the Living Dead would be like that for me for that era. Sure. Night, Night of the Living Dead, I literally have seen hundreds of times. I've seen it in the theater a half dozen times. I I just cannot get enough of Night of the Living Dead. And that's a cult film. I totally agree with that. Now, has that transcended into classic to where, in the way that you were saying some of these other movies, that they're too popular, they're too, is is is, is obscurity necessary to be cult? No, I don't think obscurity is necessary. But I think there's a difference between a cult film that's very popular and a mainstream film that's very popular. For instance, like The Avengers, Avengers Endgame. That's not a cult film. It's just an incredibly popular film. They're not the same thing, but they're also not mutually exclusive either. Right. Well, and definitely I feel like a mainstream film can have a cult. Avengers people are scary. There are people who just eat, breathe, drink Avengers, and it's not in a casual entertainment sort of way. It's in a very programmed, you know, I'm going to drink the blood of Thanos sort of way. Oh, no. When when I saw, not Endgame, but uh, Infinity War, there were some people, because remember, everybody dies at the end of the movie, blah, 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 with the snap. I was there with my girlfriend. There was a guy, I had, did not know this person, 
and he must have been either late 20s or early 30s. He was there with three friends. He was just sitting there when the lights came up, and he was just sort of shaking, and he goes, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I can process what just happened. And he was he was literally treating a movie the same way he would treat his grandmother dying, the, the way Spider-Man died. And I was like, this is pathetic and scary, I think, in a way. Since when did we start trying to make everyone cry in fun adventure movies? You know, I mean, the last few Star Wars movies, I've seen enough middle-aged white men crying to for the, that I... The, the, uh, that I would need to for the rest of my life. Uh, these aren't soap operas. These are adventures. I don't I don't understand how melodramatic some of these action movies have become. Yeah, like a movie like Old Yeller, you are meant to cry at the end. You are not meant to cry at Infinity War. <laughs> but uh, all right, a, a weird cult thing I did want to bring up to you. Yes. Is can a cult film lose its cult status by becoming mainstream or an attempt to become mainstream? Because the, the example I'll give you is El Topo. Do you know how John Lennon wrecked El Topo? So El Topo was the Alejandro Jodorowsky weirdo yeah, jo- Western. Yeah, you know, it played midnight screenings in New York for years. And John Lennon fell in love with the movie. And he would go every Friday night. He would go see El Topo. He would try to drag the other Beatles along. Nothing. But he fell in love with it. So he fell in love with it so hard, he bought the distribution rights to it. I mean, he had Beatles money. He could do anything he wanted. So he bought the distribution rights, and he loved it so much, he mistakenly thought he could make this mainstream. He opened it in 500 theaters on a normal, like, Tuesday and was shocked that nobody went to see it. And then eventually after that bombed, it didn't have the midnight cred anymore. By making it mainstream, John Lennon sort of killed its cult cred. The cult people didn't want anything to do with El Topo anymore after that. That's very interesting. You know, I mean, I guess that's sort of, I mean, that's the, that's the, 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 I don't want to say stereotype, but that's the whole idea of of the negative aspect of a hipster, right? Is that if more than five people like it, then it's it's not cool anymore. If something is is you've sold out, if you're if you if you're playing in 500 theaters, is what you're saying with that crowd. Is, sort of. I mean, it even goes to John Waters has this great story about pink flamingos because mm-hmm. you know pink flamingos was considered obscene in various territories around the United States, and pink flamingos, yes. I do agree, is a cult film. John Waters says he never thought this movie was obscene until he was in court at 10 a.m. on a Monday seeing it projected in a courtroom. He said, oh, my God, this is obscene at 10 a.m. on a Monday. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, the last time I saw John Waters, he was speaking at a college. He was speaking at a library. This is not a cult figure anymore. This is what this is like the Mark Twain of our time somehow. Is anything by John Waters considered cult when you have a person that people would almost want to see on a stamp at this point because he's so respected? Actually, I think we'd see Divine on a stamp. First. <laughs> uh, in all honesty, I, do, I don't think that is a foregone conclusion. I would never, ever thought seeing polyester at a midnight movie that I would be a 50-year-old man sitting at a book signing with a bunch of geriatrics listening to John Waters talk. Well, what about then where a movie gets a cult following for the wrong reason? And I'm not mm-hmm. talking in the so bad it's good thing. I'm talking in how the the Latino and black communities really latched onto Scarface. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen how Scarface has become sort of a, this is what I want my life to be. Also to the fact that they also seem to forget the last 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> Because it's like, you, you do know how that movie ends for Scarface, right? Uh, you know, with, with every movie where with a guy in a white suit, nobody ever remembers how it ends. I mean, Saturday Night Fever, he, he stops going to the clubs on Saturday nights and gets his ass back to school. People embraced the movie for the wrong reason. This was yeah. not supposed to be Scarface is the hero, but it became oh. a cult film because, man, Scarface has got the life, yo. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, uh, Dixie always talks 
talks about when she she had her moment of clarity when she stopped doing drugs because she just all she ever she was just hanging out with the same losers every day watching Scarface and eating sun chips and it was it was driving her crazy she just couldn't watch Scarface again it scared her straight yeah it is interesting I mean I I love it when stoners want to watch Requiem for a Dream over and over again it's like that in that movie drug addiction is 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 the villain Horrif- it's horrifying in that movie I, I i mean if i saw that i, I wouldn't I, I i that would scare me straight forever if i saw that as a kid so I, I it's funny to me how people go you know yep that's my life this is this is what it's about ass to ass let's go there's also something else about cult films because you kind of brought it up with the drugs thing. When people, when especially stoners, and I'm not talking like heroin users, cocaine addicts. I'm just talking weed, weed people. They the see, weed people. The weed people. That, that's what I call them. In the weed color, people. The weed people. Actually, that sounds like a Charles Band movie that hasn't mm-hmm. been made yet. <laughs> <laughs> They're working on it right now. That'll be like the 19th evil bong flick. Mm-hmm. The weed be, people. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, they'll they'll work COVID into it somehow. They'll just try to exploit every 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 single modern thing into it. But like with the weed people, they have this weird thing about making cult films around movies mm-hmm. that you can just get high to. Because mm-hmm. I, I had someone try and explain to me, and I don't agree with this, that 2001: A Space Odyssey is a cult film because when it was in theaters people loved to get baked and go watch the last 10 minutes of it does that make 2001 a cult film because i don't think it does i don't know if it makes it see i think i think i think that we there are definitely two threads here right there there's definitely a cult appreciation of a film and a cult film 2001 i feel is i want to say it's almost an art film Oh, oh, it's absolutely an, it's an art film. Kubrick somehow swindled Warner Brothers into paying for him. To and make. Blade and Blade Runner, I think, is also an art film that was swindled that someone else got swindled into making. Maybe we're learning something that if that people people would rather have a cult film than an art film. People would rather tell people they're going to go see a cult film than to say they're seeing an art film. Well, I mean, it even comes to with the with the weed people, the stoners like Cheech and Chong. You look mm-hmm. at everything from Up in Smoke to Corchigan Brothers. Every stoner we ever grew up with watched those movies religiously, <laughs> but sure. only the stoners watched it religiously. So does yeah. that still make it a cult film or just a stoner film? I guess it's it has a cult following among stoners, right? That's the following part. A cult following, we might have to make a distinction between a cult movie and a cult following. I think some movies might have a cult following with a certain crowd. I remember I was at uh, the Crest Theater and we were showing Carnival of Souls. You the know, original, the, uh, I'm assuming. The original, right, the original horror film. No, yeah, not the Wes Craven Carnival of Souls. No, we were showing the original Carnival of Souls with Candace Hillgoss at Black and White. This woman who was very, cons- very interested in, in our screening of the movie, she comes up to me and she says, how did you know about this movie? This is our movie. Like almost like how, a, uh, uh, you know, a minority or <laughs> someone in a certain group would like, you know, this is our movie. How did you know about this? And I'm like, what? well, uh, I mean, everybody knows about this movie, at least at least horror movie fans know about this movie. And she's, she was an organist. And people who play the organ, this is like their inside joke. This is like the movie that all the organists know. So, so maybe Herc Harvey so, made an organ movie. So Herc Harvey, Herc Harvey made an uh, what 2001 is to stoners, I guess, uh, or maybe maybe more like what Cheech and Chong is to stoners. Carnival of Souls is to organists. I guess, or or people who pl- who play the Wurlitzer. So does that mean the uh, the Mario Brothers movie has a cult following among plumbers? Not among plumbers, but the Super Mario Brothers movie has a does have a weird cult following that. I kind of understand because I'm 50-50 on the Super Mario Brothers movie. I think it's a terrible movie, but my love of Max Headroom maybe is is clouding my vision. I think it's kind of a fun cyberpunk movie, you even though it's I, not meant to be. You and I have the same problem, Josh, because I am also a huge fan of Max Headroom in all of his forms. Uh, the talk show, the, t- the, the ABC TV show, the 20 Minutes Into the Future. I see the influence of the director producers of Max Headroom on that movie, which makes it intriguing to me. And I like cyberpunk movies. I think that that Super Mario and also 
I mean, again, I guess I am the world's advocate for misunderstood movies, but I'm always fascinated by a movie that takes so many unnecessary chances. And then there's a bravery there that I really admire because they could have done something a lot more straightforward that would have been a lot more successful. And someone somewhere decided to try to really do something really out of the box with it. And then it kind of all fell apart on them uh, and then fell apart. Is that bravery or hubris, though? Uh Hmm. That, I don't know. I know that they that there was a lot of studio meddling, right? They fired three or four directors making that movie. I feel like that, that there were several teams and it was stretched out over an enormously long amount of time. Yeah, at one point, Tom Hanks was going to play Mario. And yeah, I guess there was greed involved and probably hubris. And, you know, it's probably just like the Star Wars movies where it's like they felt like they had a guaranteed hit and everybody wanted to put their stamp on it, put their stink on it and, and you know, change it upside down. The other thing that's really interesting about movies like that, too, is that they want to change it enough to where they don't have to pay the owners of the IP for anything if we kind of make them look different if we make them act different if we make the monsters different these are all things we can market and brand and and further into sequels and we don't have to keep paying the the creators of the source material and i and it, which is a weird thing because i think in a lot of ways a lot of movies that are unofficial creations unofficial adaptions just straight ripoffs are a lot closer to the thing that they're supposed to be following than legitimate franchises because they're so greedy and they're just trying to to avoid paying any of the people who worked on the original project. Well, then what about when a movie, and I'm not saying is designed to be a cult film, because as we've already established, that never works out. Samurai Cop 2. Samurai Cop is a cult film because it happened. Samurai Cop mm-hmm. 2 was, we've got a cult film, let's make another one of these. And I can't stand those. But what about when you make a movie was never going to be a hit? Like right right off the bat, you go, this was a cult film through and through. Like go to back to Jodorowsky, The Holy Mountain. The uh-huh. fact that a studio released The Holy Mountain is baffling to me in a good way. Because I think it's, I like El Topo. I think Holy Mountain is Jodorowsky's best movie. How he got a studio to release that when it that is a cult film through and through, isn't it? It is, but you know, now that we've had this this new thread of putting an art film in a cult movie wrapper, it's making me really think uh, think suddenly differently about it. Is a cult movie in in regards to the the people who obsess on those movies and keep those movies going are certainly not mainstream. And it is shocking that that a movie like that would get that kind of distribution. But again, is it the situation that El Topo had? Because it did get that kind of distribution, does that automatically not make it a cult film? Well, I was also thinking of something like The Toxic Avenger. There's no way Lloyd Kaufman thought this was going to be a mainstream hit. I don't think he designed the original Toxic Avenger to be a cult film. But wasn't The Toxic Avenger always destined to be a cult film? You know, I destined to be a cult film, I suppose, in the way that you're right, mainstream success would not be likely with The Toxic Avenger. I feel like Tax Dodge was probably the first goal, and then somewhere along the line probably found this enormous amount of latchkey kids, right? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, I saw it on HBO growing up. That was an HBO Cinemax staple, so I, I you're not like, wrong. I, I feel like that divorce is what created the success of Troma. I feel like all the latchkey kids renting videos or watching early cable and and perhaps i guess you know we did have an enormous appetite for content on uh in video stores and and on cable and 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 an an amazing democracy uh with that those platforms because you know you would you would in the video store you would you know toxic avenger right next to the superman movie or something you know so you know your choice of 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 taking home a a a 40 million dollar movie versus uh i don't know what i I think half a million was half a million 
for the Toxic Avenger, you know? So, but but then when the Toxic Avenger gets a cartoon show, does that mean, the, the, is that character transcended or is it is it still somehow, is it still somehow cult? I, I feel like the trauma stuff keeps its cult status no matter what. It, it, I think it will. I think, and I'm, I do not wish Lloyd to die because I love Lloyd Kaufman, but I think years after Lloyd dies, trauma, whether the studio continues or not is questionable, but trauma and its legacy are going to live as a cult studio i think that is just that's something that's going to happen but i feel like the legions of fans are what keep that content going and nothing else because you know they don't they don't get the awards they don't get the prestige they they don't even get the distribution anymore so you know every everything everything that whole business exists word of mouth and that is a you know what 45 years or more the oldest independent movie studio in the united states all right then to switch topics a little bit what about when a movie becomes a cult film but was meant to be a giant mainstream film not in the same way blade runner which just sort of failed and was sort of an art film as well but something like uhf uhf was supposed to be a big mainstream comedy for the saturday night live sort of crowd Mm -hmm. and it wasn't and it found all that life on video and late night cable i think uhf is a different situation than blade runner in the way that uhf was not trying to be an art film. It wasn't trying mm-hmm. to make you think of the human condition. It was just trying to be a big, dumb comedy. Blade yeah. Runner was trying to talk to you and say yes. something to you. Boy and His Dog was trying to say something to you. Right. And it didn't work, you know, on a, on a mainstream screen. Whereas something yeah. like UHF sort of did. I'm not sure if it was the marketing or what, but nobody went to go see it. It came out and vanished. Just no one went to go see UHF. You know, because I know that uh, and I'm sidetracking just a little bit, but, you know, the Disney movie, The Rocketeer, you know, that was designed to be a mainstream blockbuster family movie. And I think it was Terminator 2 or something came out like the same weekend and just obliterated it. It just didn't have a chance. Nobody went to go see it because everybody went to go see. And I'm just filling in the blank here. I think it was Terminator 2 that came out the same weekend. Now, that's a that's a situation of circumstance. I think the cult is what makes that is the reason we still know UHF exists today. I think that that's I think this is the the defining thing of the cult following. Right. I think certain movies have a cult following and i think that the word of mouth and the people who found uhf just like the people who found office space right wouldn't you put office space in a similar category as uhf yes where I, I don't like office space but that is a cult film yes whole language with both of those movies there are everyone who sees those movies they know every line of dialogue you know everybody knows the spatula city commercial from uhf it is interesting because i feel like it's one of the only missteps in well i wouldn't say only i think it's weird because weird al yankovic has been enormously successful with his his music and his concerts but i mean the children's show that he tried to do didn't really get off the ground i think there was a cartoon or something too that didn't get off the ground there's that movie didn't get off the ground so you know maybe those kind of projects were just close to his heart that he just wanted to do you know uh, it's just something that he wanted to do because it definitely is a heart a lot of heart in a movie like uhf oh yeah you can absolutely see the passion i actually think if uhf had been made i think it came out at the wrong time and i don't just mean like its release date if it had been made five years earlier it would have been a mainstream hit or if it had been made two or three years later it would have been a mainstream hit 1989 nobody was going to go see that movie in 89 i think that there was no nostalgia for uhf yet and really that was at the time where uhf was dying in real life i mean the 80s is when uh, was when they started reappropriating a lot of that bandwidth uh, you know every, you know six, the channel 62 well i think everything after 69 disappeared in 83 off of uhf and went to cable and i'm not sure uh, when they, when they inched it back to obliterate channel 62 not to get too technical on a very funny and movie but certainly the uhf bandwidth was getting redistributed for you know uh, you know video killed the radio star cell phones killed uhf so when that bandwidth got redistributed 
you know, a lot of those UH smaller stations didn't transition to cable. You know, like I said, it, it, it might have been if it, you, you might be right to where if it came out when UHF stations were still really prominent uh, in the culture and certainly when they were still discernibly different than other stations, because I think a lot of UHF stations kind of just became the same as the VHF stations. What about when a movie is a cult film, Rocky Horror uh-huh. Picture Show? I got two different examples when it comes to Rocky Horror here. When you make a movie like Shock Treatment, which I know I'm about to be, I'm about to be murdered here, I think is superior <laughs> to, as a film, is superior to Rocky Horror. I love Rocky Horror. I think Shock Treatment is the smarter film. I think it's the more well-made film. Okay, it doesn't. The songs aren't as catchy, but I think Shock Treatment's oh, no, the better I, I movie. Think the, I think Shock. I think the songs are catchier in Shock in Shock Treatment. I agree with you only more so. I think Shock Treatment is a superior film and has more to say. I think the big problem with those two movies is that you've got the they're the flip side to each other. Shock Treatment was almost made to be the anti-Rocky Horror. It was almost like Richard O'Brien, and I don't care whether he's happy with the film or not. I love it. I think he saw, I want to do something that's going to, maybe maybe not in this term, but I want to piss off Rocky Horror fans. That's what I think Shock Treatment was meant to do. Does that make Shock Treatment more or less culty than Rocky Horror, though? I, You know, that is a difficult one. I think that... Okay, this is this is a difficult one all the way across the board. You know, the original Rocky Horror Picture Show was not created with a call and response. That was something that the audience created. That's our understanding of 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 how the call and response started. Yeah, there's no way Fox would have set out for that. Which, hey, think about it now. Rocky Horror is a Disney franchise now. Oh boy! So, so does that mean Frankenfurter is a Disney princess? I think he might be. Wow, that's exciting. I want to see those Burger King glasses. The, the thing that's interesting about Rocky Horror is that Rocky Horror, even though it is self-aware, had a was sort of satirizing the an end of innocence, uh, sat and satirizing over. Old Hollywood kind of juxtapositioning Hollywood classic sci-fi and horror of the 30s and 40s with, you know, this glam sort of transgender wild world that was kind of probably always there but was suppressed right under the surface so you know you've got kind of subculture counterculture tropes being expressed through these sort of classic horror sci-fi cinematic tropes with shock treatment you have it's all focused on the boring people and the normal people who aren't that normal with shock treatment it's satirizing television which is a lot less romantic than satirizing movies i think that the subject matter was just a lot less sexy you you know in in more ways than one i mean you you've got you've got this sort of um transsexual transylvania happening on the one side and the soap opera game show happening on the other side that i think you're there is something probably to the idea that he was maybe the fans were doing their spoof of his spoof and so he was spoofing them back so that's a it's almost like you've got a call response and then another response (laughs) but then Uh, right so so my my i'm trying to get to the answer to the question which because i know what you're asking me is that is is shock treatment more cult than rocky horror i would say it certainly is a more it's more focused most definitely more more focused you know and 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 I suppose there are people like you and I who will say, no, give give shock treatment a chance because it's smarter. It's it's got some it's got a lot to say. It's funny. The the music's great. You know, you just have to forget everything that you saw in Rocky Horror to 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 really get the most out of it. I almost feel like it's a sideways like I almost like I feel like that that movie fits with Phantom of the Paradise. You could kind of see the satire of the music industry in Phantom of the Paradise. And then you, with that taking that same satirical slant to the music industry and putting it on television, that kind of you get that more. Whereas I feel like with Rocky Horror, you lose that message of cinema being satirized because you're so focused on the subculture aspects of Rocky Horror. Well, I also think with Shock Treatment, even though the movie I'm going to bring up came out years later, it's a weird companion piece to Terminal City Ricochet, that that weird Canadian TV movie about politicians mani- manipulating the, the air 
airwaves to get elected where Jello Biafra plays a political manipulator. It's got a lot, like when, when you watch Shock Treatment and then Terminal City Ricochet, you're like, even stylistically, these two things go together. But at the same time, what about when they try to recapture that with mm-hmm. that horrendous remake Fox made a few years ago that made for TV one where, okay, fine, Frankenfurter is now a transgender woman, which I think sort of defeats the purpose because isn't the purpose of Frankenfurter that it's a man who's yeah. playing a woman, not a yes. man who's become a woman playing a man? Okay, it, yeah. it, the, the, maybe that's getting too deep into it, but that thing was so bad. But it was also cheap because it looked like it was saying, this is how we capture this this is how we we get this audience it didn't have an earnestness to it capturing lightning in a bottle which i think is a lot of what the cult experience is you know with the original rocky horror they did catch lightning in a bottle i do i do feel um shock treatment again you can't set out to make a cult movie which is one of the big problems of trying to follow up a cult movie but i think cult shock treatment ultimately might even have its own cult separate entirely from Rocky Horror because of people like you and I who, and I probably have seen shock treatment 50 times. Uh, That's probably a conservative estimate. I listen to the songs from shock treatment and I, I promote it on my show. I play the trailer or I'll mention it because I do want people to discover it. And I do think that that is something that with, with cult movies is that proselytizing where, you know, you, you, you're trying to turn people onto it because it does have, might have a negative reaction or maybe was a bomb or maybe, maybe is isn't appreciated or isn't understood and that's my whole bag is a movie that's misunderstood so i'm i'm totally on the side of a movie like shock treatment whereas you know something like the rocky horror remake that they did for on fox for tv you know they're not trying to make something that's misunderstood they're trying they're trying to cash in on something it's made them a lot of money, you know, year after year after year. I mean, how many movies play in theaters every year? You know, they were unable to capture that because they didn't create it in the first place. The fans created that cult. Well, then then let's go out on one last sort of weird cult thing. What about when a movie, whether it's made to be a mainstream success or it was always destined to be a cult film, that's not tantamount here, but when a movie accidentally taps into an audience that was not being served before. Something like Easy Rider. How Easy Rider accidentally tapped into a certain audience. Or the one that shocked everybody in 71, Billy Jack. Who would have thought Billy Jack would have been one of the top films of the year? It just tapped into this sort of counterculture audience that they didn't even know was there. Like, I don't like the film, but Repo Man absolutely tapped in to an audience that even the studio was shocked was there. They weren't even trying to. So what about when a film becomes cult when it accidentally hits an audience no one was serving? Well, I guess that's the organist movie again, right? I mean, we're we're you you are finding a, a subculture or a niche of people who are underserved, and I feel like I guess that is pure cult movie in the way that that cult existed before the movie did. <laughs> they were just waiting, waiting for their Bible to show up. So you know, I with Repo Man certainly. I mean, you know, there that is one of probably accidentally one of the purest punk rock movies because it isn't trying so hard to be a punk rock movie it's trying to be a lot of things and there's a lot of punk affects to it um but the spirit of it is purely punk because it is about aliens and and you know guys repossessing cars and drugs and a lot of things uh you know generic beer and you know whatever i mean it's it's not one of these things where it's like okay well we'll have a guy you know we'll we'll uh we'll have some guys in a punk band and you know they'll all have mohawks and leather jackets and this is what being a punk is you know they got the uniform and the you know this is something that's like real working class punks you know By the same token, look at when Hard Boiled in 92 came over here. All of a sudden they were like, you mean there's an American market for all these chop sake flicks? We thought that died in the 70s and then Hard Boiled comes out and it's like, this is the best gun-fu movie ever made. We didn't even know gun-fu was a thing. (laughs) We used to take more chances with movies, you know? 
I, I feel like there, uh, Frank Zappa uh, did this great uh, routine in an interview where he was saying that we have all these like, you know, supposedly cool record producers now, but they're not taking any chances on anything. You know, at least the old guys in suits smoking cigars would go, you know what, kid, I don't understand what you're doing, but I'll give you a shot. Go ahead and try something. And there isn't that anymore, where we're all just copying somebody else's success, which is why we have a a million uh, remakes, reboots, you know, remixes, because um, we're just going back to everything that's already worked, everything that's ever made us a dollar in the past. People forget why we watch a movie, why we read a book. We watch them to be surprised. We want to see something, you know, we, we want to know, we don't know how that book is going to end. We don't know what's go- how that rectangle is going to, what's going to be at the very last frame of that thing that we're paying to see. And, and, and I think that a lot of the movies that have, 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 have stayed and, and a reason they are intellectually obsessed over is because these are skewed views. These are things that hadn't been done to death. Certainly when they came out, they weren't done to death. And maybe that is the thing that takes away the cult status. When we've seen 20,000 cities that look exactly like the city from Blade Runner. Um, but that's not Blade know. Runner's fault, though, is it? No, it isn't Blade Runner's fault, but it is interesting because there is a certain point where that weirdness, that freshness that that made the that cult crowd love it so much, I think is hard to recreate in a world that movie changed everything. You know, I mean, people forget Star Wars opened on 30 screens. Uh, now Star Wars is mainstream. When Star Wars came out, those guys were mavericks. They were they were playing music that no one ever heard before. People didn't even comprehend that movie, you know. So so this is a this is a thing that that this is the, the interesting thing is that what happens when when the cult becomes the Christianity? What happens when the the culture changes so much that if you show an eighteen year old Repo Man, they're not gonna they don't even really understand what the big deal is because the whole world's changed since that movie came out. Which is why I think to loop this all the way to the beginning, we're living in a different cult film culture now because now we are more told what is a cult film than organically discovering it. When when you just blindly rent a VHS tape or see some movie you've never heard of. Remember, we didn't have the on-screen guide where you miss the first five minutes. You can, oh, this movie is called Repo Man. You just kind of had to go along with it and you're like, what the hell is this? That's an organic way to make your own decision what a cult film is nowadays you're told this is a cult film and i think those are two different mentalities and i think they are mutually exclusive sure you know and i think that you know weird is the new cool you know and we're living in a world where everybody wants to think that that they've got eclectic taste nobody nobody's gonna say hey here's 50 movies that everybody likes right that's not you can't sell that list you know, I think that there is a kind of pretension and a sophistication, a pretension of sophistication that a, that a list like that serves. The other thing is that whenever you give a list of something, if you list 50 movies that you've never heard of before, people don't see it as a legitimate list. Just like if you list a playlist of 50 great songs and you, if you don't, un, if you don't recognize five songs on that list, you're like, okay, well, this list is bullshit. This list is bogus. So I kind of feel like they seed these lists with a lot of movies that everybody knows that everybody heard heard of and that everybody likes so that they might to give that list a false legitimacy oh i've heard of this so it must be true oh i i know that movie so that must be accurate so i i feel like again we are living in a world where critics culture where it's it's a bunch of people reviewing movies that everybody's already seen and they're all reviewing them the same they're all of these movies are so accessible that there's it's not like you know you're 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 going at great expense to 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 pay, to pay to see these movies for the most part you know if somebody comes on and says you know okay i'm going to do my review of repo man it's not like it's like oh how would i ever find that film it's just if you you could snap your fingers and it'd be delivered to your door through one distribution stream or another it's sort of the same way galaxy of terror was unavailable on vhs you know they had that little vhs run in the 80s played on cable now and then but it got this word of mouth with them this maggot 
rapes a woman to death, and Sid Haig gets killed by his own severed arm, and Freddy Krueger fights himself, and Aaron Moran from Happy Days gets her head exploded up. And now when you can see that on Amazon Prime for free, kind of loses its luster as hipstery as that sounds for me. It does lose, lose its luster, but to a certain degree, it's like, what's the point of reviewing a movie like that when it's so available? You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's at a no risk for anyone to watch at any time. So I don't, I, you know, I mean, other than, I guess, just letting people know that it exists and to just talk at length about yourself. I don't know what, what the purpose of most of these, what most of these reviews of cult movies do. Well, I think, and I am absolutely punching myself in the dick here. <laughs> I think that that there is a certain pretension that comes with the people making these lists. Like, I'm a giant Joe Bob Briggs fan. I made a comment that got me called a hipster and an arrogant douche and an asshole when I said he has not shown a movie in all of the marathons. I mean, he's shown, like, what, 45 movies at this point on the Shutter uh -huh. thing? He's yeah. not shown a movie yet I haven't already seen. Because you have all these people, and I do agree they should be, there's all these people going, oh, I just discovered this for the first time. And I'm not poo-pooing that, but I'm just saying, to me, I'd really love for Joe Bob to actually show something I haven't seen yet. Maybe that means I wasted my whole childhood in the video store and on UHF television and on the and bootlegging movies. Fine. I've seen it all. It's sort of like when you see these reaction channels and they'll listen to like, you know, Ministries Thieves for the first time and you're like, God, I, I bought that album brand new and I saw them live. It, it, it just, it doesn't have the same allure when you discover this thing 40 years after the fact, you know? We're both in that same bag to where, you know, this this is the world that we're living in, and, and now it's, it's sort of trendy to swim in that pond. Like I said, I'm punching myself in the dick because I am an arrogant jerk that... <laughs> It, you are going to have to dig deep yeah. to have me come up with a movie I have not seen yet. I mean, yeah. you've even come to me with like, hey, I remember this scene and then you'll describe it and I'll be like, oh, that's eh, eh. and it's like, yeah, I've seen too many freaking movies, man. That's good. And that's bad. I mean, you've seen more movies than I have. And I and, and that's probably a fact. I love the fact that what the people always bring up movies to me that I have not heard of. I'll be at a convention or I'll be somewhere and someone will drop name drop a movie that that I haven't heard or haven't seen you know there are enough movies in the world where it is impossible in our lifetime to see the ball I do think that on shutter right now I think the main thing that's being sold is nostalgia with the Joe Bob show right I mean this is a show that people remember watching and now they're getting to watch those movies again with Joe Bob Briggs and and you know I grew up with Bob Wilkins in the 70s, and they're going to be running um, Bob Wilkins shows on uh, – we have some of them on OSI 74, but they're going to start re reconstructing some of Bob's old shows and running them on YouTube. It made me think about the fact that if Bob Wilkins was alive today and he was hosting movies, you know, those movies that – Bob Wilkins showed a lot of them were only like five years old when he showed them. Attack of the Mushroom People was probably five years old when he showed it. Night of the Living Dead, that was the first time it was ever shown on TV, uh, uh, well, uh, consecutively in the Creature Feature package. Uh, Count Gordeval on the East Coast showed it on Creature Feature also. But they both, they showed that movie in 73 or whatever, and that was the first time Night of the Living Dead was broadcast on television. You know, in 73, Night of the Living Dead was only a five-year-old movie. Joe Bob used to do that on the movie channel. He would show all these, what we now would think like PM entertainment and that kind of thing. These yeah. movies were two or three years old. And now we look at them with such nostalgia. But when Joe Bob showed them, they were still pretty new. They were still pretty new. And they were they were the bottom of the barrel. And they didn't have that luster of, of nostalgia on them, some of them. And some of them are fantastic. And, and, and because they were just compelling movies that were finding an audience on television for the first time. But it is interesting to me because no one ever would think if Bob Wilkins were showing movies today, you know, they, they couldn't imagine him showing a five-year-old movie. They just imagine him showing all those same movies that he showed in 1973. Now you know? he'd be showing a Blumhouse film. Yeah, so that's the thing that I think that people have to realize is that that's a different kind of show that's happening now. That's not the same show that it was then. And, and I'm not saying that's bad or that's good. I'm just saying that this is a show that is fueled on nostalgia. This is not a show of discovery, I don't think, for anyone. 
Whereas I think Joe Bob's show is sort of a voyage of discovery. Not to people like me. There are so many people who weren't even alive when Monster Vision went off the air, who are now watching Shudder and just seeing these movies for the first time. And that's a great thing. Does that make someone like me, who is sort of in the cult of these, where all of a sudden, when he would show a Bill Rabane movie, I'd be like, oh, well, okay, I've seen that one five times. When most people are like, who's Bill Rabane? Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, to me, my experience with Joe Bob was the was the newspaper, the, the weekly uh, we are the weird. paper. I would read that article, and he would talk about, uh, or Joe Bob at the drive-in, um, the the the, the um, his account as Joe Bob, and what I imagine that character to be like. And he would talk about this movie's three beers, and it's got a woman ripping, uh, uh, you know, a woman's chest getting ripped open by a monster or whatever. He would explain all these things, and there would be these titles of movies that I'd never heard of. And I would I would be riveted reading a review of a movie. There were no pictures in the article, you know, and it was this kind of this excitement of of discovery of this 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 guy in this world is is lifting the veil on a on a kind of movie and a kind of entertainment that I don't have ready access to. When I finally saw him on television, one, I thought he was too damn handsome. You know, I kind of that's not the guy I imagined writing that article. I imagined a, a more grizzled guy with a beer gut i'm gonna say you you imagine one of the deliverance guys i did imagine one of the deliverance guys yes writing that article so it was a little disappointed to see how hollywood he was in appearance and it was a little disappointing that the movies that he was showing on monster vision were so far from those kind of uh all these some of the movies which i felt probably just never played on tv where they just probably four-walled them or drove them across the country and probably played exclusive at drive-ins. And see, I just think Joe Bob is a great, he's a great introductory piece for what might be cult films. Because I think what we've established tonight, even though this wasn't my intention, is there's a much broader definition of what a cult film is than I have in my brain. To me, a cult film is Reefer Madness. The Human Centipede and Napoleon Dynamite are in no way cult films to me liquid sky should be a cult film but isn't <laughs> but people keep trying right how many times have you tried to watch liquid sky i think i've sat through the whole thing three times and once once actually i can't believe that that movie played on uhf tv so i can only yeah. imagine how much was cut that i didn't even notice until i saw it on vhs years later liquid sky should be a cult film the same way pink flamingos is a cult film Liquid Sky, but it, it is interesting because people proselytize Liquid Sky. People always recommend it. People always mention it because they never forget it. Because it's now, a they, gorgeous they, movie. They 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 don't forget it because because it because they can't forget it. I guess that doesn't necessarily make it cult. But what does it make it? What if it's not a cult movie? What is Liquid Sky? I think it's in that weird area where it's neither. It's not mainstream, but it's not cult. It's sort of a it's as an you oddity. Would put it, it's a misunderstood film. To ah, quote Rob Zombie. Movie. A misunderstood. Oh yes, to quote Mr. Zombie, a misunderstood movie. Well, and that's and that's I kind of like the category of a misunderstood movie because it is that thing of it's usually a movie that whenever you bring it up, the other people in the room don't want to watch it or think it's terrible. You know, uh, there's a lot of reasons people won't watch a movie or don't feel like watching a movie or feel or don't feel like a movie is worth their time. And they're not always bad movies. I mean, people don't even want to watch classic movies anymore. People don't even want to watch black and white movies anymore. So I, fi I find myself having to make an argument. Every show, every episode of Cinema Insomnia, I'm making an argument. I'm trying to validate the, this film and give it a, a giving by giving it, a, you know, you, you are validating by presenting it. You know, uh, you can you can make all the clever quips that you want to and you can riff all you want to and you can make fun of a movie all you want to. But ultimately, if you're presenting it on a screen, you're admitting that it has value. See, I lost my right to pick movies with my girlfriend after I made her sit through Mandy. <laughs> I loved Mandy. After that, I lost my right to pick the movie. Now, Mandy's amazing. Now, Manding, Mandy is a surreal film, which does not automatically make it a cult film. And maybe that's what people, do. again, people don't want to say things like surreal film. People don't want to say things like art film, because those are concepts that the general consumer doesn't understand or doesn't feel that they should understand or want to understand. 
understand. And I also think that they don't understand what cult is. We've made a very broad definition tonight, but at the same time, I'm still going to say Fast Times at Ridgemont High is not a fucking cult film. I don't care how hard you try, <laughs> but Point Break is not a cult film. I, 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 I... Josh, I, I, I agree with you in part, but I do feel like that I think that there's a distinction here and a distinction that's not being made is that the, these are mainstream films that have a cult following, which there are a lot of mainstream films that don't have a cult following. That's a good way to put it. As you would say, these these are not bad films or just misunderstood. <laughs> so on that note, what do you guys think is a cult film? I honestly want to hear. So if people want to contact Mr. Lobo with their thoughts, where would they do such? And I just want to say this briefly. People will intellectually obsess on a cult film, whether it deserves it or not. You can reach me. Uh, OSI74.com is the website of the channel. You can watch me on your Roku, OSI74. I'm the easiest person to find on the internet. There's a, a Mr. Lobo Cinema Insomnia fans group on Facebook. There are episodes on Amazon Prime. Uh, there are many, many ways to find Cinema Insomnia. Look for DVDs. Cinema Insomnia. You'll find it. No DVDs on alpha video that's right alpha physical media for your shelf for your heart and for your home uh so we have we have 14 dvds through alpha video and hopefully more to come once their warehouses open up again you can find me at 1201beyond.com you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com remember the nord code remember the adam and eve code and i really do want to hear what you guys think so try to be a cut above keep one foot in the gutter one fist in the gold have a good night
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.